These are the tribulations of Paulette. At long last, it's T minus 10 and counting for my high school reunion. I use the backyard as a staging area for the ration of nostalgic crap I need to bring. And as I pile it all into the Dodge Magnum rental, I wonder at the symbolism. Here I am, loading my past into a quasi-hearse. Pre-party apathy wants me to cut to the quick and bury the whole business, but too much is at stake. A year's worth of work and several thousand dollars of Dave's hard-earned money to keep the ticket price down for a bunch of people I really don't care about. Has my identity become so muddled as a mother and wife that I need to revisit high school, literally, to find the girl who used to be me? On the other hand, maybe I just want to hook up with my high school boyfriend, Ted, and the reunion is a good beard. I took on the reunion solo because I have committee phobia that dates back to high school. There, as the chairperson of the prom, I decided that we wouldn't have a queen, deeming it sexist and unfair. A public outcry ensued from the Fair Isle sweater crowd, and I was overruled. Imagine their surprise, and mine, when the teachers voted me the sovereign. No one spoke to me for weeks. So cursed... Our class hierarchy has screwed up every postgraduate event since. There was the fifth reunion, held at an obscure suburban Holiday Inn with a suspiciously slimy buffet dinner. The cash bar shut down at 8.30 p.m. When we objected, the hotel manager said, You had your fun. Go home. We ended up in my hotel room, where two hours later, pumped up on vending machine coffee and bong hits, We all came down with food poisoning. A later reunion consisted of all men because the organizers couldn't be bothered to track down women classmates who were married and had changed their names. Our last reunion was held on a boat. Ted's train from New York was delayed and we arrived at the dock along with a crowd of 30 others who were also just a few minutes late, right in time to see the good ship Mount Hope sail off into the sunset. We yelled, Turn back to the captain. His bullhorn response, I can't stop this thing, evoked the Wizard of Oz lifting off in his balloon with no Dorothy. My kids are amazed at the amount of stuff I'm bringing with me. They express interest in the poster-sized photos of teachers that I copied and enlarged from the yearbook, which I plan to hang on the walls of the Hibernian Hall as decorations. When were these taken, Mommy? asks TJ. Early 80s, I say. But they look older, like they were from the Three Stooges time, TJ says. I assure him that the 80s can almost be considered part of the modern era. We examine the poster of speedo-clad swim coach Stu Panchuk. Nothing modern about that, Dave says. The sight of Mr. Panchuk's tube steak smothered in spandex gives me a faint menstrual cramp. Hopeful, I run upstairs. I haven't had the vapors for about six months, although I'm often on the brink of some other bloodless combustion. 
In an attempt to extract endometrial matter and nudge the process, I locate a tampon and insert it as a wick. As I pass by my bed, I stumble on the intruder plugged into the wall. It looks a little worse for wear in broad daylight, but still performs. Kind of like me. Even the manufacturing code has worn off, which means that somewhere deep inside Miss Kitty, a barcode stakes the claim, made in Taiwan. Nevertheless, the old intruder is coming to my reunion as the VIP who needs no name tag. I slip my phallic sidekick into its blonic shoe bag, along with the AC adapter, whose frayed cord cries out for electric tape. Finally, the car is loaded and I back down the driveway, full of perimenopausal excitement. A potential sinner in the making. Dave and the kids wave goodbye from the back steps. Through the passenger window, Dave says, Get some money out of those cheapskate pals of yours. Then, good luck. Right. Thanks, Dave. Good luck to you. You'll need it when you try to figure out how to work the washing machine. I head west on Route 9. I stop at a red light as I approach the exit to the highway, and as I look to my left, I see none other than Owen Hamish in his big black Mercedes with Dolly riding shotgun. I beep and wave. They look right at me and then through me because the Magnum has tinted windows. Frantic, I hit every button to get my window down, but no dice. The light changes and off they go. I step on it and follow them. The Magnum is surprisingly fast and sleek, and although it's like driving a visor, it could very well be the ultimate spy machine. Owen's Mercedes goes west for several miles, then pulls into the parking lot of a red roof inn in Natick. Comforted by incognito, I pull in right behind him. He gets out of the car, leaving Dolly behind, and strides purposefully to the main entrance. I pull up alongside Dolly's open window, find the right button, and reveal myself. She is stunned to see me. So what's going on here, I say? I might ask the same of you, she stammers. Where's your car? Long story, I say. Are you okay? Anything you need to tell me that might involve eggplant french fries? Trouble with Bunyan, she says. Gotta stay away from my house. I think he's stalking me. Anything I can do? Pretend you never saw me. Done, I say. Anyway, I'm off to my own skanky hotel for my high school reunion. Sharing a room, she asks. Just like you, I say, as I drive off. An hour later, on the main drag of my hometown, I check into the extended stay America, a six-story shrine to the traveling salesman, and, ironically, the one-hour room rental. To my chagrin, I see scaffolding, and I find out that certain floors are under construction. I'm told that the work will continue on through the weekend, although the manager assures me that the demolition noise won't begin until at least 7.30 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Hangover complications already, and I haven't even had a drink. I unload the hearse and assess my room, which isn't half bad, although I wouldn't want to examine it under an ultraviolet light. Regrettably, this was the only show in town, hotel-wise. 
but at least my classmates will all be together for some late-night revelry around the ice machine. I unpack my bag, which is organized like an in-style primer for the weekend. My aim is to look so impossibly chic that I'll have Ted groveling at my feet. Then I get down to business. I gotta find a cactus for the entrance to the Hibernian Hall in order to give it some semblance of the Old West, our reunion theme. The local florist doesn't have a cactus for rent, but she tells me that she has a large papier-mâché saguaro that she made for a party last year. It was too good to throw away, she says. It's in my garage in Cranston. You can have it for free. On behalf of Dave, I like the sound of free. I'll pick it up in the morning, I say, and she gives me the address. Then Ted calls my cell and my heart skips a beat. Where are you, I ask. I'm here, but I'm in Mary Grover's room, he says. I met her in the lobby when she checked in. She needed help with her luggage. She's got a lot of it. What room are you in? I'll come down when I'm done. Two hours are left until the pre-reunion cocktail party, and I get to spend it with Ted. I put a bottle of champagne on ice, take a quick shower, and don in-style outfit number one to await Ted's arrival. Forty minutes later, no Ted. I call his cell phone, which he doesn't answer. I text him. There's no reply. I go down to the lobby just in time to see a red-faced Ted trying to wrestle a Louis Vuitton trunk through the revolving door. Mary Grover is behind him with a matching hat box. Maybe it's got a 10-gallon Stetson in honor of our theme. Mary has just flown in from Tokyo, where she holds expat court as a high-maintenance doyenne of society with a hedge fund manager husband who specializes in Asian markets. Sure, she's come a long way from Ray's Pastry, where her father was the donut guy, but a Vuitton hatbox? Give me a break. We air kiss. You look terrific, I say, and I mean it. Money, as we all know, is life's report card, and Mary's team is at the head of the class. I see you've corralled Ted, I say, but I have to steal him back because I need him to help me with name tags for the cocktail party. Of course, Mary says. I want to help, too. But you must be so tired from your flight, I say. I only came in from New York, she says. Well, then you need time to get ready for the cocktail party. Uh, You might want to blow dry your hair. Oh, has it frizzed up again, Mary asks as she fingers her locks nervously. Well, it's humid in New England this time of year, I say. Better safe than sorry. Shame on wicked, wicked me. Botoxed brows furrowed, Mary repairs to her room, thinking she looks like Diana Ross. I escort Ted to my room. It takes about ten edgy minutes for us to down the champagne. We settle into relaxation mode on the fiber-filled love seat. Then Ted suggests we do a pinch hitter, but I demure. We don't do well with hotel rooms and pot. There's not much left to do but kiss, kiss, kiss. Spotify is queued up to Joe Jackson, and yes, I'll be your number two, Ted. This is one hot lip lock, a movie kiss that I hope will never end. This is all I ever needed in a reunion. Take me. I'm yours, baby. I've got no feeling in my legs. I'm going to go all the way this time. There's no stopping me. No perverts in the woods. No Indian couple offering curries. 
No EMTs picking Ted up off the floor. All the missteps of our previous hotel encounters have melted away. And then Ted whispers in my ear in the dark room, Sweetie, are you having your period? An intimate question for an intimate moment. Well, why do you ask, I say, unwilling to fess up that I'm well into my six month of menopause. Um, I feel something, Ted says, and it's then that I remember the tampon, which I had completely forgotten about. The telltale string has seen several bathroom trips and a shower. Ew! Shamed, I remove myself to the loo to extract the plug. When I come back, the light is on and Ted is dressed. He smiles as he goes past me to wash his hands. Should we go to the party, he asks. Sure, I say, but the mood is spoiled, and now everything seems weird. That was totally gross. Damn it, Paulette. You can't have a fire when your wick is wet. I knew this girl who told me it's no good to drink alone. Now she got no husband, just a two kids on her own. Choices. Choices. She hears her voices. She made a choice. Yes. This is Eric Fontana. I wonder if she takes a drink or two now and then. Wonder if she smokes too much and curse a motherly friend. Choice The porcelain bus. Till then, ta-ta. Everybody got a little story to tell. Everybody knows a story too. Making up your mind sometimes is easier than hell. Man, somebody makes it up for you. Do what you want, love who you want. It's your life, not mine. Time.